Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. Good morning, everybody. Hey, open your Bibles real fast, if you would. We want to get right into uh, the teaching today. Um, uh, if, if you have your Bibles with you, open it up to Romans chapter 8. And this is a passage of Scripture that we've been going over uh, each time that we've been talking about uh, the subject of new covenant prayer. And one of the things that we're uh, talking about around here all the time is uh, trying to develop the ability to see the new covenant as being very different than the old covenant. That The fact that it is new is significant. There are lots of things that are different. And we've talked about learning to read the Old Testament through New Covenant eyes. We'll touch a little bit on something about that today. But kind of the foundation of what we've been talking about in this area of New Covenant prayer. And the reason that this is so important is because certainly uh, Jesus said men ought to pray or uh, human beings ought to pray uh, and not faint or not wear out. Paul said we should learn to pray without ceasing. Uh, How we work all those together It can become very confusing and it becomes a real source of condemnation. So what we want to talk about specifically today is what kills our confidence when it comes to prayer. And I just uh, I'm I'm an avid reader and I collect all kinds of things and uh, I I try to read a lot of things that I think I probably may not going to be agreeing with. But I read it because I want to challenge my own thinking. And this was an article on prayer seven prayer tactics and as I read as I read through each one of them to be very honest um, I could have allowed myself to just feel pretty condemned like number three pray forcefully I'm not sure what that means the example that they give is uh, as a child you, you as a child would come to their father well I don't want my kids coming to me forcefully telling me what I should do for them these kind of things confuse me. I don't know if they confuse you, but but they do confuse me. And every time something like that comes up, I come right back here where Josh and I have been repeatedly drawing our attention as a spiritual family to Romans 8 and verse, uh, I'm going to start in verse 25. But we, But if we wait for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently in the same way. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now, whenever you read the Bible and it says something like this in the same way or therefore, we have to connect what we just read to what we're just getting ready to read. So he just got done talking about the patience that a farmer has when they plant the seed or make our prayer request. And then we patiently wait, trusting in God. And then he says, and in the same way. In the same way that a farmer patiently waits, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray as we ought to. Now, this is the statement that the the great Apostle Paul makes without any apology, without any building any fences around it. We don't know how to pray. That's a weakness that we have as human beings. Now, we're going to talk in a minute about 
what that weakness is and why don't we know. But the reality is that we have built such a complicated system about prayer, uh, especially in these last 20 some years, that that the average God's child just feels drowning in this sense of condemnation. I'm not doing it enough. I'm not saying it the right way. And yet Paul says, look, let's just settle this once and for all. We don't know how to do this. So God's answer is he puts the Holy Spirit in us to pray in us, through us and for us. That's what the spirit of God does in us, whether we're praying in tongues, whether we're praying in the spirit or whether as we're worshiping God, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to direct us in our prayers. But when we go, one of the things that we have to do is that if we're going to believe a doctrine, if we're going to develop a theological point of view then it must not only be based on some Bible verses as proof text, but it also has to be able to fit in to the fabric of the model of life that we see in the Scripture. How did these people do that? If Jesus said, if you say that mountain will be moved, and I'll tell you what, the last three weeks I've been listening to podcasts, and as I've been traveling uh, overseas in uh, Hong Kong and Penang, Malaysia, and uh, in Southeast Asia, every, literally every day I've run into somebody who has said, man, are, are we enjoying those podcasts from that Alaskan church? Those are really great. Although the one that actually said that when I first arrived at the airport was commenting not on how good I was, but how good Josh is. But that's still good because we're a team. So he and I are one and, you know, you bless him, you bless me and vice versa. But you'd already taken communion once, and I didn't know that you had to double up. I would have had it ready for you, man. Okay, anyway. All right, so. <clears throat> but one of the things that Joshua was talking about uh, a week or two ago was this idea of praying that your mountain would be moved. And, of course, the dilemma is, where are you going to tell God to move it? Move that mountain. And then it ends up in the middle of a farmer's field, and now he can't farm. You say, oh, no, that wouldn't happen. You know, God's smarter than that. And that's the whole point, isn't it? And that's the whole point, isn't it? That the one who knows the end from the beginning is the one that we're directing our request. I find it so amazing that when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. When Jesus said, pray like this. The only specific thing he said there was, give us what we need for today. That was it. And yet we've drawn all this stuff out. Now, part of the great dilemma is that when we pray, we read, and I don't, you know, I'm sure this person who ever wrote this was very sincere, but one of their points is pray decisively and specifically. Tell God specifically what you want him to do. You can't be wishy-washy when you pray or God won't hear you. Now, look, I read that and I say, huh? <laughs> So what am I supposed to do? God, I want that car. I want that one right there. Yeah, but it belongs to somebody else. Yeah, but I want that one right there. And I'm supposed to be praying forcefully. See, this is the kind of stuff that can really mix us up and get us confused. And, and then it kills our confidence. So the first thing we have to deal with is that when we make our requests known to God, that we already position ourselves so that we're not leaning on our own understanding when we pray. If we lean on our own understanding, I will guarantee you there will be time after time after time where the way God works out your dilemma will not be a way that ever crosses our mind. 
And really we ought to know that because though we quote this verse as a promise, it is also a teaching verse. And that is that our Father will do more than we can think or ask. In other words, God has ways of solving my problem that I can't think of. So why should I be telling him, do it this way? Doesn't make any sense. So let's go right to this Acts chapter, uh, Acts portion. Would you please, uh, on the slide, uh, Acts chapter 12. When we talk about not leaning on our own understanding, I, I automatically, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12. I'm going to jump over this and send it out in an email. I automatically go to this because of the way this works out. Now, listen to this. It was about this time the king Herod arrested some of them who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. So he had James, the brother of John. This was one of the original 12, you remember, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So now we have two of the original 12 apostles. Now, this happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in the prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, we have these two pillars of the church. We have these two original apostles, James and John. Herod, who is trying to get all the favor from the Jewish leaders that he can, has, has, has James arrested and then killed. And he makes the Jewish leaders of the synagogue or the temple happy. So he decides to do it some more. So he arrests Peter. But it happens to be at the beginning of the feast. And so by Jewish law, he could not put Peter to death during the time of that feast. He had to wait till afterwards. So for the next several days, Peter's kept in prison. And it says that the church is praying earnestly to God for him. Now, most of you probably know the way this story goes. In the middle of the night, an angel comes in, slaps Peter on the thigh, it says, wakes him up and walks him out of the prisons. The gates all open. All the soldiers are still asleep. They don't know what's going on. They get completely outside of the prison and the angel disappears. Now go to the next slide, if you would, please. And that's where we pick up the story. Then Peter came to himself. Whoa. Now, that would lead me to believe if Peter was so shocked that Peter was not sitting there in the prison with a whole lot of faith that God was going to send an angel to... Uh, you there? Peter did not say, yes, just the way I declared it. What he said was, huh? What? What? Then Peter came to himself and said, Oh, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him. <clears throat> Do you not love that? Does that not give you great hope? <laughs> God, we really need help here. Boom, a miracle. Wow. I can't believe it. <laughs> and he said, Yeah, I know. Ain't I great? Yes, you are. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the, and this is by way the upper room house, you know, uh, the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. What were they praying for? Peter to be released. Peter knocked at the outer door. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And they all said, just like we decreed it. Oh, no. No, no, they said, you're out of your mind. 
Now, come on. How can we look at that and say, bless God, they were praying forcefully and they had faith and they were just saying, help, somehow help. And when it happened, their words show they really didn't believe that God was going to do the very thing they were asking. How many have ever felt that way? That's okay. It's okay. You're out of your mind, they told her when she kept insisting that it was so. And I love this. I love this. They said it must be his angel. The idea that dead people turn into angels is anti-Bible, complete superstition. Completely superstition. Dead people don't turn into ghosts. But these spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers in Jesus still were mired in superstitious thinking. You there? You got this? I mean, listen, we need to know this stuff in real in the real world. How did this pray and faith stuff work in the real world? Nine times out of ten, it was help. Wow, I never thought that could happen. <laughs> All right, so you're out of your mind. It told her, oh, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. Fortunately, Peter was insistent. But that was after he came to himself. And it dawned on him, this really was a miracle. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were not rejoicing because their prayer was answered. They were not declaring, yes, just like we believed. They were honest and said, I never thought this could happen. I am astonished. And that didn't make God mad at all. Because we don't know how to pray as we should. And since that's our weakness, he puts the Spirit in us to pray in us. For us, through us. That's all they were knowing to do. We'd just say, Father, would you help? Now I have a question. When we take this story as a whole, we have two of the original apostles, James and Peter. One got killed. The other got an angelic miracle. What is the difference? Was there sin in James' life? You better believe it. James 3, 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. There was also sin in Peter's life. By the way, remember, these are still the people who at this time were still so prejudiced against the Gentiles, they would not send the gospel to Gentiles. They were God's people, but they were mired in in superstition, in a racist attitude toward the Gentiles because they would not speak the gospel to them. And yet in the midst of all this, God was working for their good. Here's a question. James got killed. Peter got delivered. Who got the better deal? Come on. Do you really believe that? James, do you really believe he got the better deal? You better. If you don't understand that James got the better deal, then we're not seeing this whole gospel good news thing for what it's really all about. Paul actually wrote to, I believe it's to the Philippians, maybe in Thessalonica, but he writes and he says, you know, it'd be better for me to die and go on because absence from my body would make me present with the Lord. That's, that's better for me, but it's better for you if I stay a little longer and help you out. So I guess I'll stay in prison a little longer. But this was a man who saw that eternity is what this is all about. That our weakness in praying specifically is that we don't know the future. 
We don't know the future as in a moment from now, let alone a year from now, let alone know other people's futures and how they all interact. So we're always praying for the goodness of God. Now, look at this. What was the difference uh, between what happened to James and what happened to Peter? What was the difference? Somebody tell me, what was the difference? God's will. Who said that? Well, Pastor Dick in the back and then his son Rick right in front of him. Very good. (laughs) And it's coming right down to the front here. All right. The difference is just really simple. It was time for James to go home. It was not time for Peter to go. And that's what Paul was saying when he wrote. And he said, it would be better for me. I'm locked in prison. It would be better for me at the most productive time of my life and I can't get out of here. It would be better for me to go on and be with the Lord. That's what this is all about. But God's purposes for me are not done yet. And that's the way Peter's situation was. It was not a lack of prayer. It was not a lack of prayer or faith on James' behalf. It was the unfolding of the will of God. And though I do believe in divine healing, I also believe we all share one thing in common. We die. And we ought to be thanking God that ultimately we do. Because the only way for us to come in to the fullness of paradise lost, becoming paradise restored, is for us to die in this fallen world and graduate to the one in which all righteousness dwells and no evil thing enters. And that's what eternity holds for us. So when we pray, we have to understand that. Should we be praying for James to get out of prison? Yes. Why? Because that's the only thing our human minds can comprehend as good. But we don't get mad at God if he does something that is beyond what we could think to ask. Because we don't lean to our own understanding But understanding that we, in our weakness, all we know how to ask for and what God understands is we only know how to ask for that which is good in our minds. As And by the way, as we come to understand the word better, we will understand a little better what is good from God's perspective. But be very careful in declaring what is God's version of good. Because honestly, I would not have said God's version of good is for James to get his head cut off. I wouldn't have thought that would be God's version of good. But the moment James died, he would most definitely tell you, this is good. The presence of God fully, this is really, really good. But see, here's our weakness. All right, let's go to this. um, I don't know, just give me the next slide, whatever it is, and we'll just go with it, whatever it is. All right, now see, now we've talked about this. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness. Now, what is our weakness when it comes to prayer? We don't know the future. And we don't know what other people are going to do. I mean, we've been very careful. We have prayed since since we uh, first knew Linda was expecting our first child. We began then to pray for the lifelong destiny of the child. And it's really awesome when when your in-law kids now say, Thank you so much for praying for me, even though my parents weren't because they're not Christians. And they and and you didn't even know me way back then. But you were praying for your child to have the mate that that God designed. And it turned out to be me. You were praying for me, but you didn't know it was me. Thank you. But see, that's because of our weakness. 
We can ask, but we have to understand we don't know the future. But who does know both of those things? God. And so we go to him in prayer, but we go not leaning on our own understanding. You know, uh, 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 two years ago, when the uh, uh, when the building collapsed, there's a whole multitude of messages in that, isn't there, that we've been talking about and teaching on for a long time, ever since it happened, in fact. But, you know, at the same time that that, that weekend when that happened and we were rightfully grateful that there was nobody in the building that got hurt, and that's certainly something that's good and to be grateful for, but at that very same weekend... In the Midwest of the lower 48, there were over 30 tornadoes and 16 people died. And when that was over, the news showed a clip of a, made on a, a, a camera phone of a woman. You could see the tornado coming toward her house. And she was standing in her front yard and she was saying, in Jesus name, you can't come here. And they played this on CNN, all the, all, all the news had it. And she's praying, very sincerely, I'm sure, she's praying. And just before the tornado got to her property, he made a sharp right-hand turn and went, literally went the other way. And destroyed 32 homes in the other direction before it was done. Now, what? okay, well, they were all mean Rotten people, probably all really, you know, God just wiped Listen, folks, we've got to be able to look at the scripture and say, how did they do this? How did they live this? Oh, it's, it's easy to draw three point beliefs, you know, about a Bible verse. Let me give you one that a lot of people draw points on uh, about and uh, and put a lot of condemnation and that's on this. When you pray, you better not be double-minded. Because we all know that if you're a double-minded person, God will not answer your prayer. How many have ever heard that? Right? If you're a double-minded man. Now, here's my question. If I don't know the future, how can I pray for specifics and not be double-minded? I, I don't know. See, it's one thing to say, God, I need a job. It's another thing to say, I want that one right there, and I won't be happy with any other one but that one right there. Now, but yeah, but if I don't do that, then I'm double-minded. If I say, God, I want that job, but I, I, I don't know if that's, if that's your will, and I don't know if I can handle it, but so I, well, I do. I, I, I want it, but then I can't, and I, well, yeah, I'm double-minded, so now I don't get anything except welfare. So, you know. Thank you, President Obama, I guess. I don't know what to say. I... You know what our problem is? Our problem is the simple reading Scripture in context. Let's go there. It's James. Where are we here? James chapter 1. Let's go to it, all right? James chapter 1. We got it? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You know what that means. It means you pray and you don't get the answer. That, that's, the only, that, that's how your faith is tested. You ask for deliverance from something and you don't get it. That's what develops perseverance. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete. Now, these next three words blow my mind. Not lacking anything. But do you notice God has not made the trial go away? But because perseverance is working inside of me, I come to a place where I am fully content with whatever God decides to do. This is what Paul said right in the context of, for my God shall supply all of your needs. The context of that is, and I have learned to have very little, and then I've learned to have way more than I needed. I can do all those things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, lacks wisdom when? When are we lacking wisdom? In the trial. You understand the context. The context is trial. What's a trial? Trouble, you pray, it doesn't go away. (laughs) Trial. It keeps on going. Trial. All right. So in the midst of the trial, if you don't know what to do next, then ask of God. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Now, notice the description of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. What is the it? Wisdom. If I'm supposed to do something in this trial... I need the wisdom as to what to do. So I should ask of God. Do you see that the whole context is I'm in the midst of a trial that won't go away. I need wisdom to know how to conduct myself in the midst of the trouble. So I'm going to ask God for wisdom. But if I'm going to ask God, I must believe that he gives generously without holding your faults against you. How many of you have ever been in the midst of a trial? Started to get ready to pray and ask God to help you in the trial only to realize it was your stupid decision that got you in the trial in the first place. Right? Well, welcome to the group. You're, 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 you're with the right family. This is real life. James admonition to us is you ask for wisdom, but when you ask, You will not be able to see what God is doing unless you believe that he will give you what you need in this without holding your faults against you. If you and I believe that because we've not always done everything anywhere near perfect, God is just going to let us flounder. Then we will not be able to see the answers when they come. The wisdom we won't be able to receive. Now, let's go on now. But, verse 6, when he asks, he must believe. Believe what? That God will give generously without doing what? Without finding fault against you. Now, do you have God? Have you, would God have to look very hard to find faults against you? <laughs> His promise is, I'm not going to hold it against you. Right. So he who prays must believe and not doubt because he who doubts, doubts what? Doubts the nature of God. Doubts the nature of God. It's not talking about getting a new car. It's talking about wisdom in the midst of trial. 
Because he doubt, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown, tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now, the lie of the enemy is to twist this one verse, this one double-minded line here and say, Oh, well, if I'm sick and I pray to be healed, but then I'm not sure if I'm going to get healed, I'm double-minded, God won't do anything for me. That's not what it's talking about at all. If that's what it was talking about, Peter would still be sitting in jail. Because he certainly didn't believe it, neither did any of them. They wouldn't even go to the door. Thank you, Dick. What should we ask for? Well, we can only ask for what we see would be good. God can't expect any more from you than that. What he sees from his eternal perspective may be very different. So when we ask, Jesus said, pray like this. Give us this day what we need for today. Let your kingdom, your rulership come into our lives today. These are things that we can pray for and believe for because we believe that God does not hold our faults against. He does not penalize us because of our faults. Now, there's another area which we can find our our, uh, confidence uh, really killed. And it has to do with the last several years of a, a growing teaching, especially among us charismatics, about about the power of our words. It's not a new teaching. It's been around for as long as I can remember, and I'm sure long, long before that. But the theological position goes like this. Faith is a force. Words are the container of that force. And I create my own reality by the words that I say. I want you to know that that is an incredibly dangerous thing to believe. It's incredibly dangerous. And the people that teach that will go on and say that this is a force that works either for good or bad. By your own words, you make good things happen in your life. God responds when you confess with your own words then the converse has to be true. When someone is horribly murdered, somebody created that reality by their bad words. It's a dangerous thing. A couple of years ago, I wrote an article called Let's Stop Jabbing Job. Because there's a lot of of preachers and teachers, charismatics, some, who really... Hold Job in disdain because of one statement that it's recorded. He said, the thing that I greatly feared has now come upon me. And then the theology then says Job created the death of his children because he was afraid they might die. Well, I just want to tell you, you can be thankful that God does not work like that. 
And all of this seems to be based on one Bible verse. It's in the Bible. He calls those things which are not as though they are. So then we have a flood of teaching that says that's what we must do. We must call that which is not by our words and we make it become by our words. So if I want a better job, I keep saying I have a better job. But then I get specific. I've got a job where I'm making 100000 a year. I've got a better job. Well, why would I do that? Well, because the Bible says that we are to call those things which are not as though they are. And that is the essence of faith. Well, let's take a look at that verse before we're done. Romans chapter four. And indeed, the Bible does say this. So let's read what the Bible does say. That's not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Romans chapter four. Beginning in verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, genetic Jews, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, Gentiles. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> He is our father. Abraham is our father in faith in the sight of God in whom he, Abraham, believed. Abraham believed in who? In God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Now, a simple reading of that passage would lead you to this question. Who has the power to call that which is not into existence by declaring it is. God, is that referring to Abraham in any way, shape, or form? No, because if we're going to say you and I have the ability to declare something that does not exist and declare it into existence, we have to be true to the sentence which also says who gives life to the dead. Some of us need to Station ourselves at the funeral parlors and stop all this sorrow that people have because they lose their lost ones. And absolutely, Frank's not with us today because his father died this past week and he's back in Ohio helping with the family where he ought to be. But it's God who gives life to the dead and it's God who speaks his words and that which isn't becomes. At one point, when this argument's going on with Job, God says, where were you when I spoke and the worlds leapt into existence? If I had a need, I surely would not ask you. But you see, this is what steals our confidence. Don't you think? If James could have created his own reality by speaking into existence, he would have certainly spoken out of existence the guy who was going to cut off his head. Don't you think that when Paul was spending his most productive adult years in a Roman prison, if he could have spoken his way out of there, he would have. 
So then we come to the very end. Then how do we pray? Well, number one, God knows we can only pray for what we can conceive of as good. And that's what you ought to do. Healing looks good to me. That's what I ask for. Number two, the safest way to pray for anybody or anything is to pray for the goodness of God to show up in their situation. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. How should we be praying for our children if they've wandered away from serving the Lord? Pray that the goodness of God would so overwhelm them that they could no longer deny that his goodness is for them. Those evil people that are out there, how can we pray for them? That the goodness of God would so overtake them that they would turn to him because... Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And James wraps it up for it this way. James 1.17. Whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God above. Who created all of heaven's lights. Unlike them, he never changes and he never casts shifting shadows. In his goodness, he chose to make us all his children by giving us his true word. And we out of all creation, became his choice possession. We will never go wrong if we pray for the goodness of God to be manifested. God delights in showing himself good. God delights in doing for people what they cannot possibly do for themselves. And God delights in being God. And so let's let him be God. You got a need in your family, pray for what's good. Pray for the goodness of God to come. Somehow, for the goodness of God to come. And believe in your heart that God does not hold faults against us. And you and I will have the wisdom to know what to do. Would you stand with me, please? If you have not yet made the decision to turn the ownership of your life over to Jesus Christ, if you've been looking that's good you've been checking out the gospel that's good that's good everybody should do that i certainly did but today would probably be a good day for you to make up your mind that you do want to be one of his children he made you so in making you he knows the perfect outcome for your life but for you to get that perfect outcome You have to do more than just be made by God. You have to become a child of God. And you do that by surrendering ownership to Him. If that's you, as soon as we say amen, just step forward here to one of our friends. They'd be delighted to talk with you, pray with you, help you come to understand how you can be a child of God. If you feel beaten up about your prayer life, if you feel that this double-minded thing has knocked you around for a long time and You'd like to just get that thinking rewired in your head. Just come on up. Come on up to one of the people up here in the front who will pray for you, pray with you lovingly. That Romans 12, where God's promises, He will rewire 
the way our thoughts are processed. He'll renew our minds so that we will be able to see his good will for us. Come on up. They'd be delighted to minister to you. Father, we are grateful that you are forever faithful. We, Lord, we, we find it hard to grasp that Paul would say to Timothy, God remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. He cannot change who he is. Lord, we say our whole life hangs on the fact that you are utterly faithful to do only that which is good in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on down for prayer and uh, let the Lord help you renew your mind a little bit. Have a great week and go in the goodness of the Lord. See you next week. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.